Chapter 11, Part 10 of A History of Greece to the Death of Alexander the Great, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Graham Redman. A History of Greece to the Death of Alexander the Great, Volume 2 by John Bagnall Bury. Chapter 11, Part 10. Rule of the Thirty and Restoration of the Democracy. The purpose for which the Thirty had been appointed was to frame a new constitution. Their powers as a governing body were only to last until they had completed their legislative work. The more part of them, however, with Critias, who was the master spirit, had no serious thoughts of constructing a constitution. They regarded this as merely a pretext for getting into power, and their only object was to retain the power in their own hands, establishing a simple oligarchy. In this, however, they were not absolutely unanimous. One of them, at least, the Ramones, had no taste for pure oligarchy, but was still genuinely intent on framing a polity tempered of both oligarchic and democratic elements. This dissension in the views of the two ablest men, Critias and Theramenes, soon led to fatal disunion. The first measures of the Thirty were, however, carried out with cordial unanimity. A council of five hundred, consisting of strong supporters of oligarchy, was appointed and invested with the judicial functions which had before belonged to the people. A body of eleven under the command of Satyrus, a violent, unscrupulous man, was appointed for police duties, and the guard of the Piraeus was committed to a body of ten. The chief democrats, who on the fall of Athens had opposed the establishment of an oligarchy, were then seized, tried by the council, and condemned to death for conspiracy. So far there was unanimity, but at this point the Ramones would have stopped. At such times moderate councils have small chance of winning, ranged beside the extreme policies of resolute men like Critias, who had come back in a bitter and revengeful spirit against democracy, relentlessly resolved to exercise an absolute despotism and expunge all elements of popular opposition. A polity on the broad basis which the Ramones desired was as obnoxious to Critias as the old democracy, into which he was convinced it would soon deviate. He and his colleagues were therefore afraid of all prominent citizens of moderate views, whether democratic or oligarchic, who were awaiting with impatience the constitution which the Thirty had been appointed to prepare, the men on whom the polity of Theramenes, if it came into existence, would mainly rest. The Thirty had announced as part of their programme that they would purge the city of wrongdoers. They put to death a number of men of bad character, including some notorious informers but they presently proceeded to execute, with or without trial, not only prominent Democrats, but also men of oligarchical views, who, though unfriendly to democracy, were also unfriendly to injustice and illegality. Among the latter victims was Niceratus, the son of Nicias. 
To the motives of fear and revenge was soon added the appetite for plunder, and some men were executed because they were rich, while many fled, happy to escape with their lives. Even metics, who had little to do with politics, were despoiled. Thus the speechwriter Lysias and his brother Polymachus, who kept a lucrative manufactory of shields, were arrested, and while Lysias succeeded in making his escape, Polymachus was put to death. And while many Athenians were removed by hemlock, or driven into banishment, others were required to assist in the revolting service of arresting fellow-citizens in order that they might thereby become accomplices in the guilt of the government. Thus the philosopher Socrates and four others were commanded with severe threats to arrest an honest citizen, Leon of Salamis. Socrates refused without hesitation to do the bidding of the tyrants. The others were not so brave. Yet Socrates was not punished for his defiance, and this immunity was perhaps due to some feeling of piety in the heart of Critias, who had been one of his pupil companions, a feeling which might be safely indulged, as the philosopher was neither wealthy nor popular. To these judicial murders and this organized system of plundering, Theramenes was unreservedly opposed. The majority of the council shared his disapprobation, and he would have been able to establish a moderate constitution, but for the ability and strength of Critias. His representations indeed induced the Thirty to broaden the basis on which their power rested by creating a body of three thousand citizens who had the privilege of bearing arms and the right of being tried by the council. All outside that body were liable to be condemned to death by sentence of the Thirty without a trial. The body of three thousand had practically no political rights, and were chosen so far as possible from known partisans of the government, the staunchest of whom were the thousand knights. This measure naturally did not satisfy Theramenes. His suggestions had, in fact, been used with a purpose very different from his, to secure, not to alter, the government. In the meantime, the exiles whom the oligarchy had driven from Athens were not idle. They had found refuge in those neighbouring states, Corinth, Megara, and Thebes, which had been bitter foes of Athens, but were now undergoing a considerable change of feeling. Dissatisfaction with the high-handed proceedings of Sparta, who would not give them a share in the spoils of war, had disposed them to look with more favour on their fallen enemy, and to feel disgust at the proceedings of the Thirty who were under the aegis of Lysander. They were therefore not only ready to grant hospitality to Athenian exiles, but to lend some help towards delivering their city from the oppression of the tyrants. The first step was made from Thebes. Thrasybulus and Anitus with a band of seventy exiles, seized the Attic fortress of Phyle in the Parnes range close to the Boeotian frontier, and put into a state of defence the strong stone walls, whose ruins are still there. The thirty led out their forces, their faithful knights and three thousand hoplites, and sat down to blockade the stronghold. But a timely snowstorm broke up the blockade. The army retired to Athens, 
and for the next three months or more nothing further was done against Thrasybulus and the men of Phyle. The oligarchs were now in a dangerous position, menaced without by an enemy against whom their attack had failed, menaced within by a strong opposition. They saw that the influence of Theramenes, who was thoroughly dissatisfied with their policy, would be thrown into the scale against them, and they resolved to get rid of him. Having posted a number of devoted creatures armed with hidden daggers near the railing of the council-house, Critias arose in the assembled council and denounced the Ramones as a traitor and conspirator against the state, a man who could not be trusted an inch, in view of those repeated tergiversations which had won him the nickname of the Buskin. The reply of the Ramones denouncing the impolicy of Critias and his colleagues is said to have been received with applause by most of the council, who really sympathized with him. Critias, seeing that he would be acquitted by the council, resorted to an extreme measure. He struck the name of the Ramones out of the list of the three thousand. Footnote. An appearance of legality seems to have been given to this act. A law was passed, presumably on the spot, that persons who had opposed the 400 in 411 BC, or taken part in destroying the fort at Yetionia, should be excluded from the constitution. End of footnote. And then along with his colleagues condemned him to death, since those who were not included in the list could not claim the right of trial. Theramenes leapt on the sacred hearth and appealed for protection to the council, but the council was stupefied with terror, and at the command of Critias the eleven entered, and dragged the suppliant from the altar. He was borne away to prison, the hemlock was immediately administered, and when he had drunk he tossed out a drop that remained at the bottom of the cup, as banqueters used to do in the game of Cotabus, exclaiming, This drop for the gentle Critias! There had perhaps been a dose of truth in the reproaches which the gentle Critias had hurled at him across the floor of the council chamber. Theramenes may have been shifty and unscrupulous where means and methods were concerned, but in his main object he was perfectly sincere. He was sincere in desiring to establish a moderate polity which should unite the merits of both oligarchy and democracy and avoid their defects. There can be no question that he was honestly interested in trying this political experiment, and the very nature of this policy involved an appearance of insincerity and gave rise to suspicion. It led him to oscillate between the democratic and oligarchical parties, seeking to gain influence and support in both, with a view to the ultimate realization of his middle plan and thus the democrats suspected him as an oligarch, the oligarchs distrusted him as a democrat. In judging Theramenes, it seems fair to remember that a politician who in unsettled times desires to direct the state into a middle course between two opposite extremes can hardly avoid oscillation more or less, can rarely escape the imputation of the buskin. 
After the death of Theramenes, the Thirty succeeded in disarming, by means of a stratagem, all the citizens who were not enrolled in the list of the Three Thousand, and expelled them from the city. But with a foe on Attic ground, growing in numbers every day, Critias and his fellows felt themselves so insecure that they took the step of sending an embassy to Sparta to ask for a Lacedaemonian garrison. The request was granted, and seven hundred men under Calibius were introduced into the Acropolis. The Thirty would never have resorted to this measure except under the dire pressure of necessity, for not only was it unpopular, but they had to pay the strangers out of their own chest. It was perhaps in the first days of the month of May that it was resolved to make a second attempt to dislodge the Democrats from Philae. A band of the knights and the Spartan garrison sallied forth, but near Acarni they were surprised at night and routed with great loss by Thrasybulus. This incident produced considerable alarm at Athens, and the Thirty had reason to fear that many of their partisans were wavering. Deciding to secure an eventual place of refuge in case Athens should become untenable, they seized Eleusis and put about three hundred Eleusinians to death. This measure had hardly been carried out when Thrasybulus descended from Phyle and seized the Piraeus. He had now about a thousand men, but the Piraeus, without fortifications, was not an easy place to defend. He drew up his forces on the hill of Munichia, occupying the temples of Artemis and the Thracian goddess Bendis, which stood at the summit of a steep street. Highest of all stood the darters and slingers, ready to shoot over the heads of the hoplites. Thus posted, with his prophet by his side, Thrasybulus awaited the attack of the Thirty, who had led down all their forces to the Piraeus. A shower of darts descended on their heads as they mounted the hill, and, while they wavered for a moment under the missiles, the hoplites rushed down on them, led by the prophet, who had foretold his own death in the battle, and was the first to perish. Seventy of the enemy were slain, among them Critias himself. During the truce which was then granted for taking up the dead, the citizens on either side held some converse with one another, and Cleocritus, the herald of the Eleusinian Misti, impressive both by his loud voice and by his sacred calling, addressed the adherents of the Thirty. Fellow citizens, why seek ye to slay us? Why do ye force us into exile, us who never did you wrong? We have shared in the same religious rites and festivals. We have been your schoolfellows and choirfellows. We have fought with you by land and sea for freedom. We adjure you, by our common gods, abandon the cause of the thirty, monsters of impiety, who for their own gains have slain in eight months more Athenians than the Peloponnesians slew in a war of ten years. Believe that we have shed as many tears as you for those who have now fallen. This general appeal and individual appeals in the same tone at such an affecting moment must have produced an effect upon the half-hearted soldiers of the Thirty, who had now lost their able and violent leader. There was dissension and discord, 
not only among the three thousand and the council, but among the thirty themselves. It was felt that the government of the thirty could no longer be maintained, and that if the oligarchy was to be rescued, a new government must be installed. A general meeting of the three thousand deposed the thirty and instituted in their stead a body of ten, one from each tribe. One member of the thirty was re-elected as a member of the new government, but the rest withdrew to the refuge which they had provided for themselves at Eleusis. The new body of ten represented the views of those who were genuinely devoted to oligarchy, but disapproved of the extreme policy of Critias and his fellows. They failed to come to terms with Thrasybulus, who was every day receiving reinforcements both in men and arms. The civil war continued, and it soon appeared that it would be impossible for Athens to hold out against the Democrats in the Piraeus without foreign aid. An embassy was accordingly dispatched by the Ten to Sparta, and about the same time the remnant of the Thirty at Eleusis sent a message on their own account for the same purpose. Both embassies represented the Democrats at Piraeus as rebels against the power of Sparta. The Lacedaemonian government, through the influence of Lysander, was induced to intervene in support of the Ten. Lysander assembled an army at Eleusis, and forty ships were sent under Libis to cut off the supplies which the Democrats received by sea. The outlook was now gloomy for Thrasybulus and his company, but they were rescued by a disunion within the Lacedaemonian state. The influence of Lysander, which had been for the last years supreme, was perceptibly declining. The king Pausanias was his declared opponent, and many others of the governing class were jealous of his power, vexed at his arrogance, perhaps suspicious of his designs. The oligarchies which he had created at Athens and in the other cities of the Athenian Empire had disgraced themselves by misgovernment and bloodshed, and the disgrace was reflected upon the fame of their creator. Lysander had hardly begun his work when Pausanias persuaded the ephors to entrust to himself the commission of restoring tranquillity at Athens, and Lysander had the humiliation of handing over to his rival the army which he had mustered. A defeat convinced Thrasybulus that it would be wise to negotiate, and on the other hand, Borsanias deposed the irreconcilable ten and caused it to be replaced by another ten of more moderate views. Both parties then, the city and the Piraeus alike, submitted themselves to Spartan intervention, and Sparta, under the auspices of King Borsanias, acquitted herself uncommonly well. A commission of fifteen was sent from Lacedaemon to assist the king, and a reconciliation was brought about. The terms were a general and mutual pardon for all past acts, from which were accepted only the thirty, the ten who had held the Piraeus under the thirty, the eleven who had carried out the judicial murders perpetrated by the thirty, and the ten who had succeeded the thirty. All these accepted persons were required to give an account of their acts if they wished to remain at Athens. Eleusis was to form an independent state, and any Athenian who chose might migrate to Eleusis within a specified time. 
the evil dream of Athens was at last over. A year and a half of oligarchical tyranny and foreign soldiery on the Acropolis. She owed her deliverance to the energy of Thrasybulus and the discretion of Pausanias. Pausanias displayed his discretion further by not meddling with the reconciled parties in their settlement of the constitution. It was decreed, on the motion of Tissaminus, that lawgivers should be appointed to revise the constitution, and that in the meantime the state should be administered according to the laws of Solon and the institutions of Dracon. The union of the two names is significant of the conciliation. Provisionally, then, the franchise was limited to those who belonged to the first three Solonian classes, those who could at least serve as hoplites. It is noteworthy that there was an idea afloat of making the possession of landed property a qualification for political rights, but it was a totally unpractical idea. Such a test would have excluded rich men, it would have included many of the fourth class. In the end, no new experiment was tried. The lawgivers restored the old democracy with its unlimited franchise, and Athens entered upon a new stage of her career. The amnesty was faithfully kept. The Democrats did not revenge themselves on the supporters of the oligarchical tyranny. But it was easier to forgive than forget, and for many years after the reconciliation a distinction was drawn, though not officially, yet in the ordinary intercourse of life, between the men of the city and the men of the Piraeus, the men who had fought for freedom and those who had fought against it. That was almost inevitable, and so long as the oligarchs held Eleusis, there might even be some ground for suspecting the loyalty of their old supporters. After about two years of independent existence, Eleusis was attacked by Athens, the Eleusinian generals were captured and put to death, and the town resumed its old place as part of Attica. Henceforward, for well nigh three generations, the Athenian democracy was perfectly secure from the danger or fear of an oligarchical revolution. That hideous nightmare of the Thirty had established it on a firmer base than ever. End of chapter 11, part 10 Recording by Graham Redmond